Welcome to Warhorn Media's podcast of Out of Our Minds blog posts. This is episode 22 titled, Precisely What is Paedo-Communion and Why Does Calvin Condemn It? It's by Tim Bailey. I'm also your reader, and the date is March 14th, 2022. It begins with a quote, Quote, why should we offer poison instead of life-giving food to our tender children? Unquote. This is John Calvin condemning infant communion. Retired now, the Reverend Dr. Rob Rayburn has long promoted infant communion, commonly referred to as paedo-communion. Dr. Rayburn's promotion of this practice condemned by Protestants and Roman Catholics alike at the time of the Reformation, is a good example of current fashion displacing historic biblical doctrine and theological precision. Men who have climbed on the paedo-communion bandwagon have believed Dr. Rayburn's assurance that, quote, he says none of our authorities favored the practice or in most cases ever discussed it, unquote. Rayburn's point in saying this is not to warn readers that our Reformed fathers condemn paedo-communion, but rather to dismiss their condemnation under the reasoning that they had not given the practice proper consideration. He claims that, quote, in most cases, unquote, they had, quote, not ever discussed it, unquote. What Dr. Rayburn writes is false. John Calvin discussed infant communion What Dr. Rayburn writes can easily mislead. John Calvin discussed infant communion in his commentaries and institutes. Calvin considered all the arguments in favor of the practice, but consistently condemned it. But back to Rayburn, here he is defending paedo-communion. Quote, Advocates of paedo-communion, by which is meant the participation in the Lord's Supper by baptized, weaned, covenant children, fully appreciate why many remain unpersuaded we have done otherwise for centuries and none of our authorities favored the practice or in most cases ever discussed it." Unquote. Rayburn doesn't identify who most of our authorities are who never discussed paedo-communion. One might be surprised to learn, for instance, that John Calvin most certainly did discuss paedo-communion and at some length. And now an extended uh, quote of Calvin on this issue of Pado communion Quote, Furthermore, they object that there is no more reason to administer baptism to infants than the Lord's Supper, which is not permitted to them, as if Scripture did not mark a wide difference in every respect This permission was indeed commonly given in the ancient church, as is clear from Cyprian and Augustine, but the custom has deservedly fallen into disuse. For if we consider the peculiar character of baptism, surely it is an entrance and a sort of initiation into the church, 
through which we are numbered among God's people, a sign of our spiritual regeneration, through which we are reborn as children of God. On the other hand, the supper is given to older persons who, having passed tender infancy, can now take solid food. The distinction is very clearly shown in Scripture, for with respect to baptism, the Lord there sets no definite age, but he does not similarly hold forth the supper for all to partake of, but only for those who are capable of discerning the body and blood of the Lord, of examining their own conscience, of proclaiming the Lord's death, and of considering its power. Do we wish anything plainer than the Apostle's teaching when he exhorts each man to prove and search himself, then to eat of this bread and drink of this cup? A self-examination ought therefore to come first, and it is vain to expect this of infants. Again, and then Calvin quotes the Apostle Paul, He who eats unworthily eats and drinks condemnation for himself, not discerning the body of the Lord. And that's the end of the Apostle Paul. Back to Calvin. If only those who know how to distinguish rightly the holiness of Christ's body are able to participate worthily, why should we offer poison instead of life-giving food to our tender children? What is that command of the Lord? Do this in remembrance of me. What is that other command which the apostle derives from it? As often as you eat this bread, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What remembrance of this thing, I ask, shall we require of infants when they have never grasped it? What preaching of the cross of Christ, the force and benefit of which their minds have not yet comprehended? None of these things is prescribed in baptism. Accordingly, there is a very great difference between these two signs, as we have noted in like signs also under the Old Testament. Circumcision, which is known to correspond to our baptism, had been appointed for infants, but the Passover, the place of which has been taken by the supper, did not admit all guests indiscriminately, but was duly eaten only by those who were old enough to be able to inquire into its meaning. If these men had a particle of sound brain left, would they be blind to a thing so clear and obvious? I continue with Calvin, it troubles me to burden my readers with a heap of trifles. It troubles me to burden my readers with a heap of trifles. Nevertheless, it behooves us to make short work of the specious reasons which Servetus, not the least among the Anabaptists, indeed the great glory of that tribe, girding himself for conflict, decided to bring forward. Servetus objects that Christ's symbols were instituted for remembrance in order that everyone should remember that he was buried with Christ. I reply that what he has contrived out of his own head needs no refutation. Indeed, what he applies to baptism rightly refers to the sacred supper, as Paul's words show, that each one examine himself. There is nowhere any such thing said of baptism. From this we conclude that those who, because of their youth, are not yet capable of examination, may rightly be baptized. He objects that they must be fed spiritual food if they're new men. The answer is easy. By baptism they are admitted into Christ's flock, and the symbol of their adoption suffices 
them until as adults they're able to bear solid food. Therefore, we should wait for the time of examination which God expressly requires in the sacred supper. Afterward, he objects that Christ calls all his people to the sacred supper, yet it is clear enough that he admits none but those who are already prepared to celebrate the remembrance of his death. From this it follows that infants whom he vouchsafed to embrace remain in their distinct and proper rank until they grow up and yet are not strangers. He objects that it is monstrous for a man after being born not to eat. I answer, souls are fed in another way than by the outward eating of the supper. Therefore, to infants, Christ is nonetheless food, though they abstain from the symbol. But the case is different in baptism, by which only the door into the church is open to them. He claims further that all Christians are brothers, but that to us children are not of that number so long as we keep them away from the supper. Those who are members of Christ are heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Then Christ's embrace was the true token of adoption by which infants are joined in common with adults, and that abstaining from the supper for a time does not prevent them from belonging to the body of the church. Indeed, the thief converted on the cross did not fail to become a brother of the pious, although he never came to the supper." How fitting that Calvin's most thoroughgoing condemnation of infant communion comes in his defense of the faith against the Anabaptists, specifically the infamous Servetus, who argued that baptism and communion should stand or fall together. Either babies should be denied both baptism and the Lord's Supper, or both should be granted. This is the sort of chop logic which has prevailed among former Baptists and explains why they comprise the majority of those defending and practicing paedo-communion today. To them, it's simple. They used to think infants shouldn't be baptized or commune, yet now they're convinced infants should be both baptized and commune, which is to say they used to be mere memorialists, but having become convinced the sacraments confer grace, they demand their children get the sacraments as soon and as often as possible. Calvin ends his condemnation of Servetus' demands that baptism and the Lord's Supper always go together. Quote, but it is no wonder that those reprobate spirits, as if agitated by a frenzy, drag in the crassest absurdities in defense of their errors, for God justly avenges their pride and obstinacy by such irrationality. I trust I have made plain how weakly Servetus has supported his little Anabaptist brothers." Unquote. Calvin was not ignorant of the arguments made for paedo-communion by the Anabaptists of his time. What's interesting is how many of those arguments are still used by the paedo-communion party today. Speaking of paedo-communion, the very label is misleading. Paedo-baptism is the baptism of newborn infants, so naturally paedo-communion leads people to believe that what is being advocated is the communing of infants, when in fact many so-called paedo-communionists refuse to commune infants. It would be more accurate to break paedo-communionists into two camps. One camp believes that non-communicative infants incapable of any confession of faith, should be given communion by their parents. 
The other camp believes only communicative infants capable of a believable confession of faith should be granted communion privileges and that these privileges should only be extended by their church officers. The key distinction may be seen in these two groups. First, those who hold that infants incapable of any verbal or nonverbal communication who have been born or adopted into a covenant household should be granted access to the Lord's table by their parents. Second, those who hold that only children born or adopted into a covenant household who are capable of verbal or nonverbal communication should be granted access to the Lord's table by their elders based upon their, the child's, believable profession of faith. Rob Rayburn is in the first camp, Doug Wilson the second. Rob believes in just weaned children being communed by their parents. Doug Wilson believes in sign language confessions of faith by communicative children. He commonly uses the illustration of rubbing the head and patting the stomach of his, his grandson and which are judged believable, these, uh, not, well, these uh, gestures. They are judged believable by the elders who grant this confessor access to the Lord's Supper. While it is true that Orthodox Protestants would not accept the rudimentary gestures of a child that Doug accepts as a believable profession of faith, Doug's justification is much closer to the historic practice of Protestant churches than Rob's innovation. We can argue over the differences between words and gestures in weighing confessions of faith, but what is there to say to the man who repudiates the necessity of any confession of faith at all, thus claiming the children of believers approach the table by virtue of their membership in a Christian household alone? The Reformed Church has many innovators practicing many innovations today. I suppose our day could be a time when God is pouring out new truths, but I'm skeptical. Anyhow, the former Baptists who have changed to baptizing and communing their babies should all reckon with the fact that paedo-communion was argued for in the time of the Reformation by Servetus and the Anabaptists. The magisterial reformers knew the Anabaptists' arguments and condemned them on the basis not of tradition but scripture. Note, in a slightly different form, this post originally appeared on baileyblog.com November 16, 2015. For more on the church and her sacraments, I encourage you to get a copy of our book, Church Reformed. It's very helpful in these matters. Thank you for listening. Do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast, too, Tell your friends they can now subscribe to audio recordings of Warhorn posts. We depend on you as our only marketing. Until our next post, stay warm, devote yourself to loving your neighbor, and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. This is Tim Bailey saying thank you for giving us a listen. Goodbye. Trouble. Proudly the way 
pursues the poor By his own plots, Lord, let him be surprised Rise up, O Lord Hear how he boasts of his heart's desire See